0: Welcome to a podcast on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Ogren, and this is a podcast where we talk about marketing. First question, who are you and what do you do? Uh, I am a fellow Jordan, so thank you so much for having me here, Jordan.
1: And I do growth systems for usually scaling startups, so helping them build growth systems by pain, not persona for the sort of one to two motion, So how do they figure out how to scale uh, without people and scale
0: their outbound email systems? And how long have you been in that, doing that specific uh, thing for? Well, I started my
1: growth career in 2016 with a company called zinc.com and moved them from one to hundred million GMV as their first hire uh, in two years. And that's kind of where I got excited about growth. I got into growth. And since that time, I've done growth systems for Vouch, Ironclad, Main Street, um, LucidWorks, a bunch of other companies, doing a variety of different growth things. Uh, but for about the past two years or so, I've been focused on building kind of automated outbound email systems by Pain.
0: Hmm, that's very interesting. I enjoy that Pain. Uh, not persona, mm-hmm. but we'll get to that at a different point. Sure. Another question I'd like sure. to start off the podcast with is what are you obsessed with right now? Is there anything in marketing business uh, kind of growth, anything that you just can't stop reading, doing, thinking about?
1: Yeah. I mean, my, a lot of my world is cold outbound email and I'm really, really obsessed with the ways that people are getting this wrong. And I'm, I'm really obsessed with this quote that is, um, we shape our tools and thereafter our tools shape us. And so I think that sales and to a good extent, marketing have fallen victim to this tools approach, which is the tools that we have today that are very accessible are the zoom infos of the world, um, where it's like, great get everyone's email. You want everyone's email that is a VP of marketing at X company, get that, and then find out what to say to them. And that I think is just a poisonous way to think. And I'm really obsessed about flipping this script so that instead of how can our tools get us contacts or how can we find companies that are in our industries the question that i'm pretty obsessed with is like how can we find the companies that naturally need our product so badly and filter out just those companies and then if you have a heuristic for doing that it's free to say things to them because you already understand the problem that they're struggling with so that's you know that's what i've just been obsessed with this like whole idea that we, that more personalization is what we need. And that's just, I think, completely wrong.
0: Hmm. So how do you go about then taking the route that you're proposing? Is it, you know, really spending time thinking who are those companies or how do you figure out who are those companies or people that need our product or the pain that our product solves? They're in the most desperate uh, place for it. How do you go about that?
1: Yeah, well, let's talk about this uh from your perspective, right? Like let's talk about this as you want to find people that are that know their stuff, right? That that can educate the the as as you say the the five people that are listening uh with sort of the best <laughs> insights. Well, how might you find those people? Well, um, you might have different heuristics in your head. It's like, okay, well, uh, it turns out that if you've worked at a handful of now, I'm going to talk about this from a people standpoint, but you should. This is more of a company thing is how you should think about it. But in your case, we're going to talk about people. Harder to do at the people level for companies, but but for you, it's like, well, you might say. That I might be interested in having conversations with people that worked at companies like Stripe or Amazon because they have some large business understanding. Or if it's people that are in startups, I might think about the types of people that have had experience going from zero to one. So who worked at who was the first VP of growth at Gusto and took them from from X to Y uh, place? But you, this, this isn't the problem is that this, what I'm talking about, isn't a tactics thing. People are very obsessed with tactics, right? It's like, oh, well, when this person did this, it worked really well. It's a strategy problem. And that strategy usually comes from the words of your customers and the pain that they are in. And so, how to do this is to just understand. What, you, what, you, what do your customers hire your product to do? This is the Clayton Christensen jobs to be done product. And how do you find people that have that challenge that they need to solve? Um, so like if you want to, like if, if there's a, do you have like a company in mind that I can give you some examples of how they might think about this?
0: Um, I mean, if you have one in mind, I think even just what you just said there is kind of helpful just on kind of how to think through. It. And I think you keep using this word heuristic, which is just a mental shortcut yeah. in the sense of, so That's like right. for me, it's almost going to the fact of almost not pausing those or like just aware of those of what are those that I instantly go to and kind of taking a different route, using a jobs to be done framework, using a different framework to essentially kind of think, ask better questions could even be just a way of kind of getting to how do you do this? Is it just asking different questions than you're currently asking and trying to visualize it? But I don't know if you have a company, no, no company comes to mind for me, but if you have like one that fits yeah. or you can create an example, that'd be helpful. Sure. Sure. So let's, um, so this really is
1: understanding like as a sales rep, for example, or even if you're a head of marketing or head of revenue operations you should understand your customers' problems better than they do for the solution that you solve that doesn't mean you need to understand their business better than they do but if you're a like let's talk about qualify.com they are a uh, a chat solution to help you book better meetings on your website right so what are heuristics that they might care about well they really want to understand Who cares about doing that and why do they care and what is the value of a conversion for those people? So things that I might models in my head that I might think about for them is like, well, who already has a chat in or who already has something in the left or the right hand corner of their of their screen? So it might be harder for them to be successful in that environment. Or who has uh, an expensive pricing model, right? So look at the pricing model and say, well, they have an enterprise option and their next lowest plan is $10,000 a month. So now I know it's like the meetings are pretty important to them. And then look at like a similar web data and say, well, how much traffic do they have? Well, it's not really helpful if they don't have a spot. It looks like, okay, qualified can appear in the corner because they don't have something there and they have expensive thing, but they get, 10 visits a month. Okay. Well, that's not going to be helpful for that company. Right. And so you can imagine that this can, this type of thinking can stack where you're like, wow, these are the companies that meet these 10, 15, 20 different criteria that I know that not only can I benefit them by one, two, three, five, ten 10 meetings, I can get them a, a thousand more meetings a month. Right, and that's the pain that they solve. But it's going to be a little bit different for every company. And sometimes for Qualified, I picked a very easy example because the pain is very clear. I don't need to. I mean, I have used a product like Qualified before, so I understand it. Um, and some companies that pain is a little bit harder to detect. But those are the types of models that you need to build up in your head to to do to do kind of a lot of B two B marketing really well. Honestly, it just happens mm-hmm. that sales is the tip of the spear.
0: Yeah, which goes back to the whole point about like, I think, at least for me, I I agree with you that I do think a lot of times it's too tool focused, we think we need a certain tool. But really, it's the thinking, it's all the things you just went through that make a zoom in for make getting the emails like actually, because then you're not just using it. So I think that's really kind of helpful for me to just hear through your thinking of, it's not the tools, it's not having some tool or some tactic that might get you there, It's just asking certain questions. And then to your point about really understanding the pains, I totally agree with that. I have heard it somewhere that you should be able to almost say to your prospects what they write in their diary, their journal, in a sense, because you just know them so well. You know, what are they struggling with, whether it's product related or not, even in that sense of just like there's too many people coming to me or whatever. It's like, OK, our product doesn't solve it, but we can use that in messaging, content, whatever that is, uh, because we understand them, which I feel is created through talking to them. How do you find passage ways to get that greater understanding? What are some quote-unquote tactics or things you can yeah. do to get the understanding?
1: Sure. So, and actually you can tell if a company does this really well, um, if you read their case studies and their headlines uh, talk about the same thing in their case studies. So if you look at you know people's headlines and the headlines say like, the very best way to build a bridge and you look in their customer case studies and like, Oh boy, I love the wheels on this car. It's like, Oh, like <laughs> they do not understand what their customers are buying there for. It's like, it's not the bridge they're mm. buying for the wheels. So, um, so reading case studies sort of firsthand accounts, uh, uh, G two crowd is a good place to, to look at this or Capterra to see what, what customers will say. And, Like there's a little, uh, one of the guys that I work with was looking at G2 data for a client of ours. And there's a little thing that says sponsored review that the company paid them for that review. So you probably want to pick the unsponsored reviews who, who are people that are so out, like they're so over the moon about your product. They're like, I have to write about this publicly. Um, and so And we do this in our daily lives, right? It's like when you go to a restaurant and you see their Yelp review, You know, everyone has three and a half stars. Well, what does that mean? That means that some people thought that the amount of pasta sauce on the pasta plus the angle of the fork wasn't right for them. And so you're like, oh, my God. Okay, not those people. I don't care about those people. But some people are like, you know what? Look, the seating wasn't great. The view wasn't great. But boy, the pasta was amazing. You're like, oh, that, those are my people that like and and they're now speaking my language about the thing that I care about. I don't care if I have to sit on a fold out chair. I want to know that the pasta <laughs> is delicious.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, that's helpful. I think anytime you can find somebody who gives a hell yeah rather than just a, eh, it was good. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll give you more. Of it's not a hell yeah. To- it's a hell
1: no. That's right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I like that. That's a good way to frame it. Well, that's awesome. And I enjoy that kind of conversation off which you're obsessed with. I always find it fascinating what people are kind of geeking out about. But to take us a step back, I know, obviously, you've kind of been talking marketing sales, you kind of come from that. But just to focus on marketing, how do you define marketing? When you kind of think about it, whether it's in the kind of ecosystem of growing a company or just in a company, what is the job that marketing should get done or jobs?
1: I don't know how elegant this answer is going to be, but I think it's um, knowing what to say to whom in which channel. It feels like that is the job of marketing. Um, And it is all three of those things. And if you don't get it right, that marketing is failing. And I think all too often, uh, and sales is the place where that, that lack of fit is felt most viscerally because it's Mm. easy to throw a Facebook ad out there and Facebook knows that you don't know your customer. Like that's, they didn't get to be a, you know, they didn't get to be a $80 trillion company by relying on people to know who they're targeting. They're like, don't worry about it. And so it has created this world where we can say, Facebook, here's some money. And they're like, we will give you clicks and then marketing is like, here's an MQL sales. I'm going to define it differently because I know it's trash. Um, and you <laughs> have to take it and and make uh, gold into that trash. And it's very easy to do that when you're not having the conversation with the person and you're like, hey, Jordan, do you have a problem converting leads? And you're like, not really. And I'm like, fuck, this sale going to be hard. Like I have to convince <laughs> this guy that marketing said was a fit that he has a problem. You're like, oh, I don't get much traffic to my website. And you're like, okay what do I say now how do I how do I like convince him that he does have a problem right and so I think that and this is why I'm excited about this world of revenue operations because it um it 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 says that hey marketing and sales the more you fight the worse we all are off so what if you could take the insights from sales to help refine the targeting from marketing and create a virtuous loop versus a um, versus a, you know, hey, we didn't hit our numbers. You did it. No, you did it, sales. I gave you MQLs. You didn't follow up with them. Like, like that's not a productive conversation. A, a more productive conversation is like, what do we have the messaging wrong? Do we have the channel wrong? Um, uh, or do we have the targeting wrong? And if marketing mm. can find and can gather all the information about answering those questions, that they are doing a great job.
0: Yeah, I like that s- simple definition. I've read a- I read something similar to that in like an ad writing book, kind of about right person, right message, right channel, essentially what you just said. So would you agree with the statement that marketing should make sales easier? Because what you're inherently saying is bad marketing makes the job of sales much more challenging when they have to do all this convincing or they waste time on people who probably never should have been Passed on in the sense of the example you were using. Do you agree that marketing should make sales good? Marketing makes sales easier, or do you think it's more complex or complicated than that? Well, well,
1: let's. There, there is something that marketing can't control that I want to talk about first. And so, if you think about uh, the, like, let's use the analogy of a hill. So, a company is a hill, and the founder is at the top, and so. What usually happens is the founder will um, will roll a uh, a small boulder down that hill and it will pick up steam and grow as it goes down. And so by the time that it gets to marketing, marketing is like, okay, I either A, need to stop this boulder and say, we're thinking about it wrong because I'm closer to the market. But what they usually do is like... Let me give it some momentum, and sales <laughs> is at the bottom of that hill, and 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 they're like, this is huge. Now the founder only sent a pebble down, um, but uh, every time it was sort of amplified, and by the time it got to the sales rep, it just crushed them. And they are the ones that have the the end responsibility of growing the business. And I see this all the time, where it's like, I look at a company, and like one of the things that I did for uh, a prospect that I was chatting with is like. You have four personas and like 15 products. The multiplication of those things, if each of those personas can buy each of those products, that means that based on your employee count, you have three people per solution and persona combination to understand what you do and describe it to them. You're going to, of course, do a bad job. Like there is no world in which a marketing team with three total resources can speak to a persona and a market uh, very well. And so m- marketing to succeed in that world has a tremendously difficult job that the leadership has put them there and they need to figure out what to say no to and then what to amplify down the hill.
0: Hmm. It's hard. So what you're saying... Yeah. What you're saying is what they don't control is the initial vision, initial market kind of target market that the founder or creator creates. And then it just builds up steam or just iterate kind of what you mean on what they don't control from your analogy or just like they don't control what aspect. Sure. So, um, so
1: what, um, what I see a lot is that, um, companies will start to diversify what they do or like, even like, let's talk about an early stage company. An early stage company doesn't know who their market is. They don't know. They're like, we usually it's like, we've built the thing. It almost always starts with, we built a thing. And it probably should start with, we sold a thing. Now we built a thing, but let's like talk about the traditional path. The traditional path is like, I have this thing. Now I have to figure out who wants this thing. And they're like, okay, well, it could be these eighty, and and you'll talk to anyone as a founder. You're like, hey, what's up, Jordan? If like, look, if you'll give me ten bucks for my thing, I will take your ten dollars. I'm not going to be like, well, I don't know, Jordan. Uh, this is really for people with glasses. You're like, give me your money. Uh, and so what happens is that you end up serving dentists and VPs of marketing, and uh, you know, and CEOs and cobblers. And you just had this weird hodgepodge of people that are using your product. And so to, you then have to say, actually, this is the best market for us to go after. Let's focus. Let's stop doing these things. But all too often, companies will be like, oh, we need to grow. We need to diversify. We need to go wider for more use cases and more problems. Um, and in doing that, if you're not good at uh, if you haven't run the end-to-end process for one persona, for one product, and you haven't oiled that thing in in a in a sort of a healthy feedback loop, it all it does is amplify noise. Um, mm. And that's what marketing is. Marketing in that world, marketing can say, I can take a, an awful song on the radio and play it to more people uh, when I think that their job needs to be, how can we figure out what Like, like which of these things should we focus on to market to amplify and really get very good at that before trying to spread that message to, you know, 86 different verticals with 54 buyer personas. (laughs)
0: <laughs> now that makes a lot more sense. The pebble that starts small, very kind of focused can eventually through a products life cycle starting to wherever it is now, 10, 15 years can just get so big into your point. Marketing a lot of times either a doesn't have the actual um, kind of authoritative power, or even just quote unquote, the cojones to kind of say, Hey, let's hold up here. Because I've uh, I read somewhere talking about chief marketing officers and just the fact of like market is within that name right marketing it's market so i think there's a huge critical aspect that i don't hear talked about in marketing is really deciding what market to play in where we yeah, have the greatest yeah. chance to win and that's i think that's strategy thinking Richard report all these different you know thinkers talk about that and i find that's a that's a hard thing because a lot of marketers don't feel they control it but but they they maybe don't yeah. but they maybe do it's kind of like a As you kind of talk about, I'm thinking like, because for for me, I'm working, we're currently with my company, we built a software. So like, it's cool because with the founder, I'm marketing. So I'm able to kind of influence or have those conversations earlier rather than a guy just creates or a gal creates a product, then they hire someone on and they have the, you know, it can sell to so many people. So I I really think that's a kind of an important piece and I'm glad you kind of created an analogy out of, of just talking that there is things you can and can't control or perceptions of that.
1: Yeah. And no one has a good framework with, which, with what to say no to and why. So for every yes that you take on, uh, it means that you can't do something, that you have made an opportunity cost here. But if you ask someone, okay, well, what's the opportunity cost of going after this market? They're going to say, well, we'll do both. We'll do both just as well. And so, like, if you want to see an example of, and I'm like, I don't mean to trash this company, but like, but like, like, let's talk about the, I mean, maybe a better way to say it is like the, the VP of marketing at each of these companies, one of them has, I think, a much easier job than the other. Um, and so, the VP of marketing that has, I think, an easier job is like the VP of marketing at Gumroad. And if you look at Gumroad's and I could I could share my screen but I'll just like tell you their headline is from 0 to $1 and let me read their subtext. With Gumroad, anyone can earn their first dollar online. Just start with what you know, see what sticks and get paid. It's that easy. That's one person. They're speaking to a creator that is a solo creator that has a singular problem that they want to collect their first dollar and they don't know how to do it. So uh, Gumroad's like we are for you. That's exactly who we're for. Now, uh, compare that to uh, to Drift.com. Now, Drift.com just rebranded again. They like as of just a a couple days ago, they used to be the Revenue Acceleration Platform. What does that mean? Like, like for whom? And now, now they changed it because they realized that no one has a revenue acceleration problem. No one's like, oh, I need, it. they have a, they maybe have a mid funnel problem. And that mid funnel problem might be how do you get people from, you know, like, okay, well, like you could dive in, you know, you could imagine three, four, five, six layers deep in the mid funnel where you help with just one particular thing. And for the person that that's a burning pain for, they're like, oh my gosh, amazing. But if I buy a revenue acceleration product and I have like some deep mid funnel thing, I'm not going to feel great that they're going to be amazing at that mid funnel thing. They're just going to be okay at it. Um, And so, Mm. so it's like, well, why do I buy drift? Well, I buy drift because they are okay at 15, 20, 30, 50 different things. And that's not to say that that is true for drift. I'm just saying that if, if you're selling multiple different product lines with multiple different value points, like it's really hard for someone to come forward and say, I have that problem.
0: Hmm. It's just not focused per se. Gumroad, at least when you read Gumroad, it seemed hyper focused on who they serve. And I think, you know, like the whole point of what you said about the founder, like they're not going to, you know, if someone comes to Gumroad and they're making $500 and they want to take it to 10, they're not going to say, Hey, you have to make zero. And we like, but it just, it really helps when you're that person, you read it. And I think that's a a key is like any, any website kind of can almost somewhat tell you like how clear are they or how hyper focused are they on a specific set or one person rather than like oh this is pretty generic as you were saying and I think even um, and and maybe we don't need to dive deeper onto this but the whole drift uh, conversation really sparks a lot of ideas in my head of the fact of category creation and when it can go wrong in the sense of the whole revenue generation thing I felt was a category play. You know, they were trying to define something new in the marketplace, but it really sometimes, like you said, nobody has a pain for it because it's a new category. What are your thoughts on category design, category creation? Maybe you haven't, you know, been well-versed in that of like the Christopher Lockhead play bigger and all that stuff. What are your thoughts on that in regards to everything we've kind of been talking about, kind of creating a new category where people may not be sure this is an issue I have yet. Or
1: Can, can you give me an example of a, of a company here that you might say created a category?
0: Like Airbnb. So I guess like an idea, yeah, Airbnb, Uber, right? They created a new category of using your phone to get, not calling, but actually using your phone and how it delivers it. Uh, I'm trying to think of like different examples that obviously uh, in the Play Bigger book, but it's really just saying most companies find a market that already has demand and they play within it And their whole thing is there's the 80 20 dynamics that one company within a uh, you know category or a market gets 80% of reaps 80% so their point is to go create a category sell the problem sell the story and then get people to come to your new category which is a new way of doing it. it's different rather than better is the uh, premise of their I think point. Mm um, That different better is
1: interesting because I would say that uh, Uber is all around better. I mean, I am old enough to have remembered a world before Uber. And if I had to get somewhere, the thing here in San Francisco was radio dispatch taxis. That was like, and you still see it. I saw it the other day. It's like, this is dispatched by radio. I'm like, oh my gosh, so fast. <laughs> the radio. Wow. Radio moves fast, you know? Um, And, and you'd have to schedule it the day before. And it was a crap shoot. Who knows who would come. Right. And, and you would get in. Um, People would be upset that you were there because whatever you were paying, it wasn't enough for them to afford the medallion and, like they had to um, and Luxor Cab was my favorite cab company because they were more reliable than not, not because they were perfect. Right. And so Uber has totally changed that. Um, you know, there was a time here in San Francisco where uh, the joke was that you called an Uber and you were always sharing the right of the venture capitalist um, because they lowered the price. Right. Um, And so you got into the car and it was, you know, a third cheaper, it was reliable, you knew exactly how long it would take, you knew where they were, you knew, so that's a new category, but it's the same problem that we've always had is like, how do you get around? Um, And so, um, Mm. um, so I think that, you know, when I think about, and Like, I guess you could think about the Airbnb example, too. It's like, well, people want to travel and they want to travel to more places and they want to do it cheaper and they like meeting the locals. Now, hotels let you travel. It's like they could be very expensive. Um, and you don't get to meet like the concierge is not, you want to have beers after work? Like, no, that's like, (laughs) like that'd be insane. Um, so, so it's like, they, they did create a new category that didn't exist, but they tapped into this thing that was really important that the market, the key thing that the market wasn't doing well today. And I don't know that, I don't know what revenue acceleration means that the, that, that the market is not doing today um so like if i were in drift shoes i might think okay well what's the problem the pro- like ghosting might be the problem a- and you might talk about people just like not showing up and that is the that's what revenue acceleration means is that you just like fall off um and that you know that's a perennial problem that exists and um, actually, maybe I had used that word wrong, but it's like an evergreen problem. It always happens, right? Like that people will not show up for a variety of reasons. And so I think that instead of saying Airbnb is the place for you to blah, 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 it's like, what if you could stay anywhere at half the cost and know who you're staying with? It's like, oh, wow, that's much better than a hotel.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. Answers your question so though. do you, no, no, I mean, I don't I don't know if my question was uh, inherently kind of stable enough to be totally answered. But I think from your question, I'm starting to get an idea in my mind is how much do you think about this story? Because kind of as you're talking about a lot of this, like it's almost like you're telling a story and there's been uh, some people who said, you know, the company story is the strategy. Um, There's a bunch of these people kind of pushing this, you know, POV, what's your narrative, all these things. Because I think when you have a point of view, when you have a narrative, when you have a story inherent in that story should be that specific or that pain you solve. I mean, the Uber story was pretty clear, right? That you had to wait so long, you didn't have reliability, you didn't have all these things and like that's their story per se and that's like their movement you could argue maybe they don't do that as well anymore and every company maybe yeah, loses yeah. that like founder story yes, what do you think yes. about stories yeah well um
1: so i'm going to tell you the story for my business and then i'd love for you to tell me about what you're working on and we'll workshop on a on a story live if you're if you're amenable to that <laughs> Okay. 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 All right. So for my business, the way that I talk about this is we will build uh, automated cold email outbound systems by pain. And what that story looks like is what happens at any company is the founder does sales, right? We talked we touched a little a little bit on this, the founder does sales, and they'll sell to anyone that will buy. And so what happens is that um, their market forms without necessarily strong opinions of theirs because they're selling to anyone that will buy. And suddenly the same type of person starts to buy, you know, they refer someone else and they, they, they find it. But what never happens is or almost never happens is the founder never pauses and says, "Okay, who are we not doing this for now? And how do we just go after these folks? And the founder knows. The founder's tried a hundred different things in a hundred different markets. So what they do is they hire their first salesperson and they say, Your job is sales. I'm not even a sales expert. Uh you you have to go sell to people. Uh you're you're on the clock now. Uh go sell. And that sales rep is like, all right. You know, cause they cause sales reps are are full of um unjustified optimism because that's the type of personality that you have to be. Um and so uh so so what I come in is I say, well, the problem with that thinking is that then you throw a bunch of bodies at the problem and you're a B2B company, so the 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 opportunity cost of those bodies is hard to calculate. You maybe fire a lot of them because they're like, oh, they don't get it. Um and marketing has been dumping money into a black box of uh, Facebook and Google, where it's like, you don't have to know your customers, they will deliver you clicks. But who are those clicks? What problem do they have? And so this in the B2B world, whereas in B2C, like I had a, I had a conversation a while back with Wise, they're like a smart cam company. And the guy's like, my, uh, he's like, my CAC, like I can spend $3 on a customer like, because if it's any more than that, we just rather give them a rebate to get them to buy. So if you have a $3 per customer budget, you can be damn sure that there's a lot of stuff that you will never try. But if your customer is worth half a million dollars, you're going to throw the kitchen sink at them. And you're like, oh, you know, you could have just thrown a wrench. And they're like, nah, the kitchen sink. So, so that's how I tell <laughs> my story is like, what if you could get all that productivity back from sales, that productivity back from marketing that you don't know that you that you wasted? Um, and hmm. and it's it's hidden. It's a lot of hidden pain. And um, uh,
0: and yeah, so that, that's what that looks like. Before your story, you talked a lot about kind of figuring out who not to sell to. And I think you call these oh, people yeah. anti- buyer persona or anti-ICP? Why is it important, whether literally or at least in your brain, to create a list or to have an answer to who are our anti-ICPs or who are our anti-buyer personas?
1: Well, because what happens is you get into a marriage where no one wants to do the dishes. Um, and uh, the sum of no one wanting to do the dishes ends in divorce. Um, and so the <laughs> It's 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 much better to get into a relationship with someone where they understand your value. Like, and let me give you like a specific example. We um we will sometimes help companies in the zero to one stage, and uh, we have run engagements in the past where the end result of that is no growth, and because what we sold at the time was what we were selling to one to two companies. Uh, which is growth. But it turns out that in the zero to one motion, what we can offer is we can help you close a lot of doors very fast. And there's and it's and so like let's say that that's all we focused on, the zero to one. I'm saying that at the end result of my work, I can give you a lot of people that you shouldn't sell to. Now, that th- there's like only a few founders in the world that're like, oh, Jordan, I understand the utility of that. Like, like, like you went to the supermarket with me and I'm like, can't eat that brownie. You can't eat that, those chips, like you can't eat. And you're like, why, you know, like, that's not, um, that (laughs) nothing about that feels good and the opportunity cost. And like, is that person really going to refer me? Are they going to say you should work with Jordan because he didn't produce any sales for me, but he told me all the people that were not interested in my product, like, so the opportunity cost of working with that company is so high that even though my value is rather immense for them because I can close off market doors for them, that if if I work with them and they don't have the understanding of that value, my business would never grow because I'm selling to someone that not only are they buying something different, but the, the value that they get Uh, Only a very handful number of people will appreciate that. And maybe none of them will ever refer me for that. And so that customer is really, really like inherently poisonous to my business. So I have to feel something uniquely amazing about them to work with them.
0: Hmm, And that's... I think inherent in good strategy is more of the things you're not going to do. So I could, uh, that makes a lot of sense where sometimes it's, it's almost is as, as important. And obviously, like you said, early on or at different points, it could be more defeating than helpful, but I do think it's quite helpful to really say like, who are we not going to go after, which then almost subsequently answers who we will because we're not going after all these types of people and you can argue there's demographics and psychographics and all these different graphics that you can use in the mm-hmm. sense of what do they believe who are they all that stuff which i think is it's quite well, interesting and, as well um, and how
1: big is the market i mean people right like mark andreessen has a very famous post from 2006 about this is like is it the market is it the people or is it the product he's like market every day of the week. I have seen bad people with a bad product do amazingly well in a great market. I have, uh, very rarely do you mm-hmm. ever find amazing people with an amazing product par- uh, product do really, really well in a bad market. Um, and so like that's the, and, and that's the thing about about defining an anti-buyer persona. It's like, you might be able to help three people, but no one does napkin math market sizing or napkin math. Like, um, like what are other solutions that people can solve this problem. How much are they paying for them? Oh, they're paying $10 a month. Well, what about in this market? Well, they're paying a thousand dollars a month for this problem on average, like, Whoa. Okay. Well, how many companies are here? Well, there's, you know, here's what the competition looks like. And here's how many other people are in that market. Wow. We should focus on that. But I don't know that you can find a founder that has that, that has done that sort of, um, first principles analysis. Um, and like one of the first principles analysis for your product might be um, human psychology is such that it's hard to convince people a problem they've never experienced um, and hard to sell that problem. So it's like, is that the first way that you should go to market? Or maybe your anti-buyer persona is like, we will not sell to anyone unless they have had key customer churn or key employee churn or like, and that's like mm-hmm. a level of nuance that is like, okay, because even if you did a perfect job and no one left, they don't know if that was you or if that's just them, and so they have no way to quantify that. Like, wow, you did a really good job at making sure something that was really painful never happened. That's a hard thing to to say because it's hard to prove a negative or something or disprove a negative. Something like one, of, <laughs> one of the yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, no, I get that's very helpful. I get what you're saying there. And I think that is kind of the core of of this kind of whole conversation. There's been many different taint, tentacles to it. But I find kind of that core one, or as at least from, from what you're saying, is always kind of first principles thinking. It's, you know, try to get the shortcuts out of the way, the heuristics in the sense of kind of, Driving us right to answers and almost, you know, using first principles to ask better questions to then have us Mm -hmm. define this market or plan a better market, which I firmly believe is one of the top kind of priorities or key accountabilities for a chief marketing or just any kind of marketing person uh, is the market, which we don't hear a ton about.
1: And I'll tell you a story here. I had a I worked at this company, and the product manager came to he's a good friend of mine. He's an engineer and and they said, we need to work on social notes was the was the feature. like, oh, social notes, like they're really important. Like <laughs> we need to like devote like six months to it. And he queried the data. He's like, five people use this, and four of them are in-house. Is this really the, the feature <laughs> that we should be? And it's like he's with that one question and like a little bit of data, he saved the company probably six months and um, at least a million dollars in engineering salaries of work. Oh, oh, no one's using it. Mm. And so I think that if a lot of people ask these questions <laughs> like uh, um why questions instead of how questions uh, that that we could avoid a lot of really. And it's this is really hard to do when you're in it. I mean, if you're digging a ditch, it's really hard to ask the question where should i be digging the ditch and you're like i'm gonna get to the bottom like that's like it's it's addictive because you're like if i just dig a little harder i'll hit gold and you're like do you know that there's gold on the shore over there they're like yeah but i'm gonna find it here so it's like take a take a vacation get away from like the daily grind and think about like
0: is this what i should be doing (laughs) That's perfect to end this uh, podcast before we get into the three questions. I enjoy that. And I think, uh, obviously, as we talked about off uh, camera, you know, there's obviously podcast resources that can probably help you get closer to this thinking, obviously, to your point, hard to do it when you're in the ditch. But I think some key I found is, you know, Shane Parrish knowledge project, all these different thinkers that have introduced me to first principles, first order thinking, all these things I didn't know about even in like invest in stuff. So I think that's key. If, if a lot of the things we're talking about are like, what are these uh, two Jordans talking about? Mm-hmm. I think there's you know resources or places to go that can really help you kind of get you started on. It. And then you almost just ask great questions or why questions out of habit rather than like, oh, I need to ask this now, which is right. really... Hard to kind of always think of when yep, to ask. Hard. All right, so I have three three final questions. Um, two of them will be kind of on everything we talked about. One will be a little bit off. So the first question: What is one thing you've changed your mind on in regards to marketing, growth, sales, anything that we talked about today? You've changed your mind on in the past two, three, four, five years. I believed put out as much content as you can. I now believe quality content is the key. What is that change of belief for you? Uh, yeah,
1: that's a Peter Thiel question, I believe. Um, so f- <laughs> uh, for for me, I think one of the things that I have changed my mind on is channel approaches. I, I used to think that, um, you know, like we almost exclusively use cold email, but, uh, it turns out that even if you have an amazing message, if someone's not in that channel, it doesn't help. And a, a nuanced thought about here is like, you can connect with people on LinkedIn or tag them or, but if they're not on, if they're not like actively on LinkedIn, it's useless. And so we, we actually use cold email for our own outbound and it failed miserably. Um, and it's kind of ironic, right? I mean, this is the like, like who should be the best user of Drift? Well, Drift should be the best user, but it turns out that or like like at Google internal, their search sucks. Um, like ironic, right? Um, so so we found that like LinkedIn is a better channel for thought leadership uh, because LinkedIn is really good at like putting my message in front of the right people, and um, and so I guess I changed my mind that maybe that if I put the very best message in front of someone, it might not even matter. The channel might not work at all like we found that to be true with developers Hmm. that developers are like there's no amount i can tell them as much as i want about a problem they have developers are not going to be receptive to email.
0: No, hmm. oh, that's really good. I think that's uh, that goes back to the definition of marketing is finding that right channel, even if it's uh, not your dog food in the sense for you email. So I like that example. Yeah. yeah, no, one thing you'll note is all my questions are ripped from other places, just a little tweak <laughs> to them. So I will take <laughs> good. no good uh, points of originality for them. Oh, no, it's a good question. <laughs> so good the question. second question. Yeah. yeah. I enjoy it. So the second question, it's going to revolve around the movie Inception. So whether you've watched or not, I'll give a five-second synopsis. In the movie, they pretty much go in people's dreams to incept ideas that then the next day that person wakes up and it's their idea to sell their company to let this person buy X amount percent. So if you could incept one idea in the minds of everybody who is like you, whether that's you know someone who works in growth, a salesperson, marketing, if you could incept one idea, what would it be and why?
1: Probably, to build up your mental model of why a customer needs your solution, and if you can do that, all marketing and sales is is finding the people who have the why and describing it back to them in their language. And so that hmm. sort of inception idea for me is um, talk with your customers and if you can describe the pain it, it just like even your marketer it doesn't matter it's sales marketing doesn't matter talk to them and if you can describe what they are about to do or what they do in your problem area better than they can that all of your job becomes a hundred x easier so get outside the get up yeah. I mean get get outside um, the castle yeah
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that'd be a uh, pretty good world, but definitely harder for the people who are already doing that if everybody uh, was doing it, you know, because uh, mm-hmm. then everybody would be, you know, speaking, having good copy on their websites and all mm-hmm. this stuff where there is that advantage if you're able to. So I like that one, though, you're able to. uh give away the the whole, uh, the whole thing. All right. Final question. What is one thing outside of business marketing sales that you do? So kind of maybe something personal outside of work that then helps you when you come back to do work. So for me, that's a 20 minute meditation every morning. When I do that, I can come back to my work or start my work with better eyes, more energy. What is that thing or things for you?
1: i walk to i walk or bike ride to the butterfly joint which is a coffee spot that's like 60 blocks away from my house um it's about a six to seven mile round trip uh and every the founder knows every the founder he's a coffee shop owner it's a weird word but like yeah the founder um he knows (laughs) he knows everyone's name hey jordan how's it going and um because he creates this atmosphere of like just having a conversation with someone I can meet strangers and ask them like I ran into a mom and I said like, hey, like, have you ever regretted any part of this? Um, And like, that's a question that you can kind of only ask a stranger because they feel completely vulnerable to say like, yeah, actually, I, I do. And so I think, um, you know, the CEO of Metafilter once said, sometimes you need a social network of your not friends. And so being able to have like raw conversations with people about um, things that they would only tell me because I'm no one to them um, uh, has been just kind of a really eye opening uh, experience. And I try to take those Hmm. that like thought process back into other types of things that I do.
0: Hmm. That's very interesting. So going to a place where it's nobody you work with, nobody who maybe even, you know, is a marketer, salesperson, you're just able to have conversations that can bring insights or kind of maybe not even touch on something, but because that conversation, you come back and you, uh, have the answer in your head that's I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna say just off rip that's a bold question to ask somebody i'm glad you're asking people if they regret having a kid but like to their face i'm not sure if i would do that i've asked some pretty wild questions before but like just a huge tattoo on their like face do you regret that you know well but no i yeah, like it yeah i well, think the
1: <laughs> yeah that's well the last thing i just want to say one other point about that i will um I will sometimes ask people yeah, I, 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 I will ask people um uh like I I I advise someone in a job interview to say, what does failure look like in six months? What would, what would you want to fire someone for if they, if they happen in six months and that (laughs) breaks people out of their, like, they can't easily answer that. So it stops and people immediately change their perception of you based on the question. And you can end a lot of distraction by asking a question that no one ever saw coming.
0: right? Hmm. I like that. And I think that's a wonderful bow on top yeah. about this whole kind of conversation, kind of about questions and stuff. Well, that's it for the podcast. This last section is you to open it up for the four to five people still with, with us listening. What do you want to link? It's the show, the show or the floor is yours to plug anything in?
1: Yeah, I would just say that if you're in marketing or sales and you're thinking about building outbound systems or how do you scale outbound uh, and your go to market, Uh, contact me. I'm Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N, as you know from your host name, uh, at (laughs) blueprintgtm.com. That's uh, blueprint, like uh, blueprint um, uh, architecture drawing, and GTM is go-to-market. So just contact me. And I think, uh, ironically, uh, our site does a pretty good job of explaining what we do. So thanks for listening.
0: Yeah, we would hope so right after all the uh, yeah. points you said yeah. about yeah, <laughs> yeah. Knowing, knowing your customer. Well, thank you, Jordan, again for coming on. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. This is the end of the podcast.